0: This is In the Studio with Michael Card, a weekly program coming to you from Franklin, Tennessee. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Our program is a little unusual, Michael, in that we actually sit down and study the Word together. We hear some of your music. We invite friends to come to the studio. We talk about art and community and creativity and... We get to do this. <laughs> just imagine. It's amazing to me that the Lord would call us to this sort of a place, that, that this is actually like a job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we love to hear from listeners, yeah. so your feedback is always welcome, and I'll give that address later. And maybe you even have a question, a Bible question you'd like to forward on to Michael here. We'll give all that information later. Well, I believe we have some very interesting guests coming up on today's broadcast. We'll introduce everyone again to John Eves, who's been with us previously on the program in just a moment. Later, Makoto Fujimura. Who here. is actually a friend of John Aunt. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did not know yes. this. Uh-huh. Makoto will be here to introduce us to a great artist and uh, sort of an art appreciation course here mm-hmm. today. And then later, Linda Rowley will join us here in the studio, the wife of your best friend, Scott. Mm-hmm. So a lot of uh, interesting topics today on the program. John Eaves is sitting right here. And John, it's been a uh, couple of months since we talked. So welcome back. Well,
1: thank you. It's great to be back.
0: Remember, as the listeners will remember, when John was with us before, you
2: just discovered that you, uh, that you had cancer and... Uh, uh, we're together. We're sort of talking about um, how do you face something like this as a man of faith, and uh, um, and and we wanted to have you back to let you uh, sort of fill us in on where God is leading you, where you know, where your thinking has gone. Um, we mentioned Makoto a minute ago. Makoto sent you a painting. He sure did.
1: Yeah. It was a a wonderful painting, and actually he requested that I set it next to my bed so that he could. It could be used for my healing, is that not amazing Wow, wow. I mean and to look uh, at this and experience uh, healing it 's a he he wrote on it a passage of uh, from psalm one thirty nine mm-hmm. and uh, it 's a just a beautiful painting yeah. so mm-hmm. i 've got it right there by
0: by my bed wow wow, <laughs> John. The obvious question is, how are you doing? It has been some time since we talked and you're undergoing chemotherapy treatments now, right?
1: Uh, yes, I I am uh, I guess the the word is uh, for a man who's been told he has 4 months to live and I'm 3 months into it, I think uh, God has other things in mind. <laughs> and uh you know the the wonderful thing about walking with the Lord is that uh, when you walk with him every day, uh he gives you that day as yeah. a gift hmm. and you You take it and you use it for what it is.
2: And that's not just people who've discovered they have cancer. That's all
0: of us. I mean, every day is a gift. The rest of us just don't realize it quite the same way, do we?
1: And in one way, I I know this sounds strange to say this, but in one way, having terminal cancer is a blessing. Mm -hmm. It's a gift because it allows you to take a perspective on life that we should all have anyway. I mean, we all are going to have to meet our maker someday. Right. Uh, We're going to have to come to grips with our mortality Mm -hmm. and to be able to to have a time frame in which you do that uh, Hmm. actually allows Hmm. you to prioritize Hmm. life in a very interesting way. Hmm. And that's what's happened with me.
2: Well, I've appreciated the the stance that you've taken to to take this opportunity to not focus on yourself, but to help us, because John isn't just, I mean, this radio program isn't, uh, it's just the tip of the iceberg. He's uh, going to be speaking next weekend at a couple of churches. Um, you know, you, I just appreciate how vocal you become about this, not going inward, but really uh, helping the rest of us. Uh, so, and I, and I way think to go, that, man.
1: I think that's just really the nature of what it means to walk with the Lord. Because uh, the Lord said to me early on, I'm not putting you on the sidelines with this Illness. Mm-hmm. I'm actually putting you in the center of the flow, mm-hmm. and and that goes back to that passage that we talked about last time we were together. That Hebrews eleven thirty two to twelve three passage, that God can use us in hardships and sufferings. He can use us uh, in death. He can use us in miraculous interventions uh, mm-hmm. to bear witness to the world of His presence and His work in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so that's exactly what He's doing. Uh, it's through the context of of a terminal disease that a witness can be given to a world that do- doesn't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the time when the C word is used, cancer is used, I mean, it's, a, it's almost a fatalistic word. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you think, well, I'm just throwing in the towel. Yeah. Uh, what, what can I do? I'm, I'm afraid of it. I'm, and, and the thing that I've been reflecting on more and more in recent days is the interplay between fear and faith. Mm-hmm. Why is it that when fear comes into our life through circumstance, faith goes out the window? Mm. And it happens far mm. too frequently, I
2: think. Oh, that, that's what we were talking about that earlier. To me, that's Peter walking on the water. He he steps into a, this miraculous moment of being able to do it, but then he gets afraid. And reality, because that's what we want to talk about, is what's real? What really is real? The gravity that's pulling you down to the bottom of the lake? The The word from the doctor that you've got this kind of cancer, and it's here and here, and these are all the details— or what? Or, or, the, or the or the other reality of Jesus' face and Jesus' hand, and and something that happens in the middle of the storm that really
1: is miraculous. That's right. And it's just as real as the cancer itself, yeah. or the disease, or the sickness, or the circumstance. Yeah, just as real. And we never get condemned for
2: looking at reality and mm-hmm. being realist. And I mean, uh, Thomas isn't condemned for wanting to see the scars. Peter, I don't think, is really condemned for looking at the waves and realizing. You know, I'm going to die mm-hmm. out here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I, I think that's what you're doing, John. Uh, you, you're, you're being real about this, and that's what I appreciate so mm-hmm. much.
1: Well, yeah. I, recently I was reading a, a book by Rebecca Pippard, A Heart for God, and she has a very interesting statement about fear that I, I wanted to read. Mm. She says, The silver lining in the dark cloud of fear is that fear pushes us to decide on our view of reality. Mm-hmm. What do I really believe about the universe? Am I alone in this battle, or is there a God who overrules human affairs? Does my deliverance depend on human prowess and things I can see, or does the final outcome depend on a massive resource beyond my own, hmm. the powerful, faithful, living God? Hmm. And, and I think that is so true, is that when, when we come into difficult circumstances, I mean, faith is tested, isn't it? Hmm. I mean, what is real to us? Yeah. Hmm. And I think that the surprise that I've had in my life is that people treat my stand as something exceptional. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's not. God gives grace to stand
2: in hard places. So that's what you, because I was going to ask you, what are you finding in the midst of all this? I mean, you leap into the dark and you land on solid ground, Kierkegaard said. I mean, is that, has that been the
1: experience? Uh, yes, it has. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, let's go back to this issue of fear and faith. Uh, what I find is is that Fear is never conquered once and for all. It's there. It can be standing at your bedside every morning when you get up mm-hmm. or any time during the day, just like bitterness. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be there. You think that you've taken care of it and it's been dealt with, and all of a sudden there it is back again. Mm-hmm. And what what I found is in that context of fear being there daily, God also gives us faith to counteract that fear mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Hmm. And that is His grace being dispensed at the time
0: that it's needed. That's the point. On a daily basis, it's there when we need it. It's not this, I mean, the big reservoir that it's there as we need it. That's right. That's a very important point, isn't it, John?
1: It's just like manna. Ah. The same principle. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't save it up. You can't store it up. It's just given to you Mm -hmm. at that time that you need it. (laughs) And and, and that is based on that trust relationship you have with the Lord.
0: Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you... um, you're married and you have children and how about those around you family and friends and and what they have learned uh, because what you're going through it's one thing for you to go through it and of course it's it's another for them to uh, to have the pain as well
1: well I I think that a lot of it has to do with observation Uh, I would say that uh, my wife Kay and my three sons watch me very closely Mm -hmm. Uh, they're they're taking cues from how I'm walking through the situation Mm -hmm. and Frequently when I'm having a difficult day or a challenging day, I, I watch them and you know their spirits tend to sag. Mm. Uh, if if I, you know, I'm having a better day, they, they tend to feel better about it. And I think all of us are sort of that way. Mm-hmm. We sort of cue off that person in terms of how they're doing. But there, I think the, there's a deeper reality to it. And that is uh, I had a conversation with my three sons and I said to them, let me tell you something. What you're about to experience is going to be hard. It's going to be tough because you're going to see me in a condition, unless the Lord heals, and he very well may. Mm -hmm. I'm very open to that. We've already talked about that. That's right. And uh, I'm ready at any time (laughs) and point. But should should, uh, we go through the valley of the shadow of death, then that journey is a difficult journey. But God is going to build something into your life that's not there right now. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be a better man for it. So, you know, we've been very honest and forthright about how do we approach death, how we approach the loss of a father or or a husband. And uh, we've had very candid conversations about it. And I think as a result of that, there is a there's a freedom or liberation to to walk in life in a new way, Mm -hmm. Uh, because uh, since the last time we talked, I've taken care of all my death stuff.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, we had lunch and you told me all the all
1: the details. Yeah. I mean, I've 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 done all the details. I've I've taken care of uh, you know getting things signed over, and and I've a- even met with uh, the the funeral home people, and mm-hmm. I've d- done my memorial service. I've gotten all that stuff out of the way. Yeah. Now I'm free to live. Uh-huh. You know, and and that's what I'm walking in now. Uh-huh. I don't have to worry about that that element of it. Oh, yeah. uh, I can just walk in, in the, the grace that God gives.
2: And neither d- uh, do your family have to worry about that's it. Right. I think that's that's a wonderful gift to have given them. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And, and I would say that, that my encouragement to people who deal uh, in this area and who are walking in a terminal disease, maybe people listening right now, the greatest gift you can give if you have the strength to do it is to prepare for your death, mm-hmm. to prepare for it so that your family doesn't have to be strapped with that, and mm-hmm. to and to walk through that after you go. And besides, you you get to put together what you would like, what you, you want. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, John, you speak so powerfully about uh, faith and and the lack of fear because it's been replaced by faith in Christ. Um, you came with some scripture in mind today as well. I'm wondering if we can turn there now and yeah. just talk to you further about what you're going through and and how what the lens is now that you're reading scripture through.
1: Well, I. I was uh, revisiting the other day that passage of scripture in Philippians uh, chapter 1. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is a, a prison letter. Uh, Paul is in prison and, and he's under uh, extreme difficulty and hardship in his life. His future is unknown. Uh, and yet, one of the things that we see about this man is that he never loses track of his calling, he, he never checks out but that he remains engaged in the daily activities of his ministry. But hmm. he has a very fascinating statement about life and the future and faith that I really want to explore today in the context of what we're talking about. Where's it found? That's Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to
0: 26. Okay. Should we ask Michael to read that? Sure. I've got sure. it right here. Go ahead.
2: For I know that as you pray for me and as the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will turn out for my deliverance. You talk about his situation That's in hard. prison. For I live in eager expectation and hope that I will never do anything that causes me shame, but that I will always be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, and that my life will always honor Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living is for Christ, and dying is even better. Hmm. Yet if I live, that means fruitful service for Christ. I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. Sometimes I want to live, and sometimes I long to go and be with Christ. That would be far better for me, but it's better for you that I live. I'm convinced of this, so I will continue with you, so that you will grow and experience the joy of your faith. Then when I return to you, you will have even more reason to boast about what Christ Jesus has done for me. It's an
1: incredible wow, passage. That's <laughs> – it's incredible because Paul has the view of eternity in mind. And I think that is the one thing that has been coming back to me again and again. Paul looked at life through the lens of eternity, not through his mortality, not through what he sees, not through the circumstance in which he was in mm-hmm. at that time. When, and he was under extreme circumstance mm-hmm. uh, because he didn't know if he was going to live or die. Mm-hmm. And that's why he could make that statement in 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Mm. You know, he had the view of eternity in mind. Mm. And the thing I think that God is calling me to more and more is that view of life, viewing life through the lens of God's eyes, mm-hmm. not through my eyes. Because if you do that, if you can see life from an eternal point of view, then you, you you understand what Paul says. This light and momentary affliction mm. is nothing compared to the surpassing greatness that will be coming mm-hmm. uh in, in eternity. And so this I think is is has a tremendous impact on my life and upon the way that I approach life because it gives that perspective that Paul had, uh, Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for the good. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's being we're being conformed into the image of Christ, mm-hmm. and that he's using everything in life, whether sickness, whether death, whether hardships, sufferings, whatever it is. Uh, he's using everything to bring us into that eternal pr- perspective. And
2: right. the tendency is he uses the harder things all the more, you know. That's right. And so...
1: That's the only time you grow. Yeah. Think about it. When do we grow the most is in the hard times. Yeah. And so... That's why I think Paul talks about um, that we are not only willing to to live for him, but also to suffer for him, because he knew that in those difficult and hard and challenging times, that's where the reality of God is most clearly seen. Mm. Why? Because we're vulnerable, because we're exposed, because we are in a position where our resources are outstripped and and we can't handle the situation, and that's when we are the most tender toward God, mm-hmm. and that's where we grow the most.
0: Mm. Let me pause for just a moment, and for those who may have joined us just a bit late here in the studio with Michael Card today, we're talking with our friend John Eves. John diagnosed a uh, few months ago now with uh, cancer, terminal cancer, and John is sharing this eternal perspective with us today here mm-hmm. in the studio, and in a few moments we'll be turning to some of Michael's music, but John, I've been sitting here as you've been talking, I've been thinking, you know, uh, you've been diagnosed this way, but the, the reality, we talked about reality, the reality is either one of us the could di- go before you go. Well, the you di-
2: And the diagnosis for all of us is terminal, right? <laughs> this is all a terminal situation we're in. And we live, I don't think, until you get the, the kind of diagnosis, the kind of word you got, that you sort of wake up. I mean, did you
1: experience kind of a, 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 like a wake-up call when, when you got word? Actually, no. Uh, I remember uh, when I was first told, uh, and and the response, my initial response uh, was a humorous one, because uh, I had actually gone in to uh, for my annual physical, uh, and I had a concern about cholesterol and fatigue. Mm-hmm. And so my first response to the doctor is, "Well, I guess you're not worried about my cholesterol level." <laughs> <or not." laughs> oh, wow. And and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the, shock, the shock really wasn't there because um, God had already prepared me for that moment. Yeah. Two weeks, three weeks before, the Lord was speaking to Kay and, and to me, uh, words like, I'm going to fight the battle for you. Take courage in me. Stand firm in me, persevere through hardship.
2: Yeah, and you separately, bo- they they separately both got that word. I mean, when you were in New York and she was in Nashville, in Nashville. Yeah. We
1: thought it was in relation to you know having this commuting ministry yeah. and the challenges of that.
2: They read their journals to each other, and they'd written virtually the same, same thing. thing. Yeah.
1: So he had prepared, and yeah. that, again, that's God's grace at work yeah. uh, to 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 meet that moment. Uh, with with the grace that we need to walk through it. And I believe that's true in every sphere of life. There's nothing that we experience in life that God's not going to meet us in. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that's that wonderful interplay of the wilderness experience. You know, when we think of Jesus being in the wilderness or Moses in the wilderness or the Israelites in the wilderness, God never calls his people into the wilderness without having a provision there. Mm -hmm. The provision is always in the wilderness. And uh, so this is a wilderness experience, but God's provision is just as real.
0: Hmm. You know, a moment ago when we read from Philippians one, Paul says, "I really don't know which is better." I'd stop and think because I think, you know, from my perspective coming in the studio today, I think I know which is better. I'd rather live, mm-hmm. you know, but I can't really say that, you know. When you when you think of life in, with the eternal perspective, you you do reach the point that Paul reached. I don't. I'm torn. I don't know which way to go right. here.
1: And uh, let's relate that to cancer itself. Um. My perspective is this. I have gained victory over cancer. I have beat cancer. I just don't know which body. Is it going to be my earthly body or is it going to be my heavenly body? But cancer never wins. It does not win in the life of a believer. Hmm. And so that's the eternal perspective, I think, that we're talking about. Hmm. So you have nothing to fear.
0: Hmm. John, you mentioned a moment ago, and I think it's probably true, that there are some people listening right now that either themselves or loved ones are going through what you're going through. Um, are you are, are you praying for others? Are you coming in contact with a lot of people who are under sur- similar circumstances?
1: Yeah, I, I guess you'd say I've developed a new congregation. Uh, well,
0: I know
2: you're cruising the wards. Where, when he gets his chemo, he discovered he can unplug the machine and walk around with his uh, IV or whatever. I mean, I, I know you found a way around that. That's right.
1: As a matter of fact, you know, it's an interesting experience. Some people, when they approach chemotherapy, are, are very afraid. And uh, the, the, in this particular uh, cancer uh, clinic, uh, just like an ER room where they pull the, 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 the drapes, mm-hmm. the curtains, some people want to have the curtains pulled around them. And uh, what I've been praying for is that God will allow us to pull the curtains back. And there, is, uh, there are three other men that have treatment when I have treatment. And so what we've done is pulled the curtains back and sort of gathered our chairs in a circle Mm. And we're able to talk and and it's a wonderful thing you know mm. to have that kind of fellowship and My to goodness. to ask the hard oh. questions and to ask, how are you managing this oh. How's mm-hmm. God working? now in your are these life? believers some are and some aren't okay mm-hmm. but uh you know that's the witness of it uh to be able to to see that God is present uh in that place uh, just as he is present in every sphere of our life wow.
0: hmm. speaking of the chemotherapy um you have your hair yes. <laughs> <laughs> How is that happening?
1: Well, um, you know, one, one of the interesting things about cancer is that they, they're, they're desperately trying to come up with new drugs. Actually, uh, in the case of uh, colon cancer, which I have, metastatic cancer, your, your options are rather limited. But the protocols that they use, how they administer the drug, uh, are, are, are variable. And so I'm actually using a protocol that was developed in France uh, and it just so happens that uh, in that particular route that you use, uh, you don't lose your hair. Very important to the French that they not lose their <laughs> yes. hair. Probably that's why they developed it. But for those listening, I look exactly like Michael does. So <laughs> Didn't have there, a lot to start with. There wasn't much to lose. Well
2: I know there's a commercial now. It's I mean, right along there with you know, with pop tarts and everything else, there's this commercial for chemo patients for this drug that gives them more energy. I mean have you seen that it's no, I haven't it, seen it. it's well, you don't watch as much TV as I do, but um I have seen it yeah it's it's interesting you know it's it's that it's that that much a part of our lives now so. it is
1: it really is and the thing that is so uh real, I think in the whole area of cancer is that you have a full spectrum of response to it mm. I mean, if you want to understand humanity go into a cancer ward, mm-hmm. you know, go into a place where, where people are being treated there. And and I would encourage uh, 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 our listeners to to really have a heart for those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing how a card or a call uh, or just a word, an email...
0: You talk about fear. I mean, we have a fear that if we somehow get involved, that we'll be hurt, Right. you know, through that. You're saying, don't worry about it.
1: No, no. I think that you... The thing that helps people the most in this situation is to know that there are brothers and sisters in Christ who stand with them. And actually, we talked about this last time we were together. I believe that uh, if healing comes into my life and God restores this body of mine, the testimony will be that it was the body of Christ that did what they were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Because we talked about the stretcher bearers of Mark chapter 2 last Mm -hmm. time and that uh, God commended their faith, Jesus commended their faith uh, in carrying that person before the Lord. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening in my life. A lot of people are carrying me before the Lord, and it will be the testimony in heaven of their faithfulness. Uh,
0: Hmm. Wow. Well, John, uh, we've saved the last minute or so here, because I'd like to ask you to pray. Um, We're praying for you, and have been since we first uh, heard about this news, but I'm asking you to pray for other listeners who are facing similar circumstances, for all of us, that we would replace a fear with faith. And, uh, and then we'll ask Michael to sing a song, but would you lead us in prayer? Sure.
1: Lord Jesus, how grateful we are to come before you today and to make this simple statement that the things that you say about yourself are true, and that we can take you at your word and that simple act of faith, and we can believe that you are all that you say that you are. Lord, this is the basis of our faith. Mm. This is the basis of our overcoming fear, to believe you for who you are and how you're working in our lives. And it is my prayer, Lord, that all of us who call upon your name would learn to trust you more. Mm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: John, thanks for being here today. John Eves. Michael, you're going to sing for us. Would you like to introduce the song?
2: Yeah, This is a song called Live the Mystery, which uh, basically uh, talks about letting go and, and realizing uh, that we can't understand, we can't pick apart everything, that, that the life that Jesus calls us into, the life that's a part of
0: his body, is a life that's uh, full of mystery. Great song to follow up our conversation with John. Michael Card in the studio.
3: Consider the secret of the one who dwells in me That there is truly a presence in the heart that will believe To listen to a silent call The quiet hunger to give it all As the river seeks to be Forgotten in the sea So my soul is so thirsty, it longs for Thee, like a moth around the flame, drawn to the light and to the pain. Since my life is hid in Thee, I must live this mystery. The mystery of life in Christ Is Christ can live in you I hear the silence, it's clamoring There is only Christ, He is everything In the language of the soul It's burning like a coal There's a voice that is saying You can be whole A life where all is new Of timeless moments waits for you With a heart alone you see That you must live this mystery
0: this mystery performed here in the studio with Michael Card. We're coming up to the halfway point in today's broadcast. Before we take a break, I'd like to remind you to get in touch with us. Our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. And by the way, there's more of John's story in the new edition of the community magazine. Visit us online and learn how to get your copy. The web address is michaelcard.com. In the second half of our program, there's more challenging conversation and great music here on the Moody Broadcasting Network. We have two guests who will join us in the studio here with Michael Card in this half hour of the program today. In a few moments, we'll introduce you to Makoto Fujimura, But first, Michael comes to sing a song loved by many. It's called Be Thou My Vision. Here's Michael Card in the studio. could you ever tire of hearing that be thou my vision michael thank you so much here in the studio that's what makes our program special well as you travel about the country and the world god has brought to you some wonderful diverse friendships Mm -hmm. and we love to platform those friendships and get to know those people here in the program as well
2: yeah and i think one of the ones i treasure the most is with makoto fujimura who's in new york
0: city uh and and we have him on the on the phone wish you could be in franklin with us makoto but welcome by way of telephone
4: well it's good to be here yeah. to join you
0: Well, Michael, we, of course, have had uh, Mako on with us previously, so Mm -hmm. our listeners are familiar with him and his art. And we've placed a link on our website so you can go and view, perhaps even as we talk here, you can be looking at uh, some of the work that Mako does. And we've asked him
2: today to help us understand uh, some other artists uh, that will help enrich us as, as believers. And who have you chosen, Makoto?
4: Well, I have chosen this very important artist that many people don't know about. Uh, his name is Kazimir Malevich, and he's showing at Guggenheim Museum here in New York City. Uh, he's, uh, of course, not alive, uh, but uh, between 1915 and 1932, um, he worked uh, basically in Russia.
2: Mm-hmm. Is this man a believer?
4: Yes, he is, and actually, his works. If you go to the website, or if you if you get to go to Guggenheim. I I would say this is one of the best shows I've seen this year uh, in New York. Mm -hmm. And it's a small exhibit. And uh, the reason why I say that is because he was so important to 20th century artists. And this was almost by accident. Um, He worked in Russia, and uh, no one really knew except uh, for the authorities there who arrested him for Mm -hmm. painting these paintings. Mm -hmm. Uh, First, because they were um, uh, non-objective, Abstract, um, uh, but but also because they were filled with uh, his faith. Um, He took some um, symbols from icon paintings Mm -hmm. and turned them into abstraction. Um, For him, it wasn't uh, trying anything new, as much as trying to convey how important his faith was in 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 the in the, uh, in his contemporary. Is setting, but also in a setting that um, you know having faith was dangerous.
2: Now, you, you you tell us he's a believer. How how could it be that a place like the Guggenheim would nevertheless would be showing a, a, a Christian artist? How does that work?
4: Ooh. Well, because they don't really (laughs) highlight that. (laughs) If you go to the exhibit, you know, they talk about how he is a uh, seminal founder Uh of non-objective art, the 20th century art, Um, how his work influenced uh, so many of abstract expressionists, so many of basically 20th century art. And yet they they talk about uh, these, um, you know, conceptual points, but they, they don't really go into his personal life, nor disconnect connection with icon paintings, mm-hmm. which to us, uh, you, you know, people who are of faith uh, are very obvious, and uh, yet the, uh, neither the catalog or the uh, exhibit description uh, talks uh, about this.
0: So our listeners are really truly getting the rest of the story here today, exactly. and, and exactly. it will be yeah. an even more enriching experience then when they go to the website mm. or get the opportunity to even That's go right. to the Guggenheim there in New York City, which is of course a world famous museum. Right, uh, Mako, uh, How did you become? First of all, uh, can you more fully describe this artist's work and and how yes. and what is it that draws you
4: to it? You know, when you see these paintings, you, got, you most of our uh, uh, listeners probably, if you if you go to the website. Website will wonder, you know, what is he talking about? Because you you uh, you see these paintings that has uh, circle, uh, squares, rectangular shapes, uh, very colorful. Uh, the ones that are on the uh, on the website are very colorful pieces, but you know, it, it looks like just a simple design. Mm-hmm. And um, what uh, it's hard to describe on the website or any catalog or photograph. It 's this extreme uh, sensitivity and skill in uh, creating these paintings. Um, he was of course trained as an icon painter, so uh, icon paintings uh, have this very high level of skill required um, in preparing you know everything from gold to minerals. Uh, a lot of materials actually I use. Mm-hmm and um, how this delicate process of um, layering and coming to a point where color is more than uh just simply white or red um they 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 come alive um as as you look at them today and uh there are paintings that he's done that are white on white, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is very radical um the some of them are uh uh just simple rectangular shapes or circular shapes, and you know you might wonder. Uh, what is this about? Mm-hmm. And uh, what you need to do is uh, try to experience these firsthand. Because when when you see them, um, you see the details, the craftsmanship that go uh, that's gone into these. But mm-hmm. but also the level of faith and intensity uh, that, that works underneath it. Um, it's It's really something that's hard to describe, but uh, something that i i've been influenced by tremendously
2: when when someone like us uh, looks at i mean i know when I look at your paintings you've you've described and explained them for me and helped me to understand you know yeah. what it is you're doing um, if someone were to go to the Guggenheim and try to understand what's really behind uh, this painter's work what's the best way to connect connect with him prayer or
4: yeah, I I would think so. And uh, you know, Guggenheim was built uh the building was built by Frank Lloyd Wright, uh this famous architect the 20th century architect, and he he built this spiral museum which was very unusual and radical at the time. Um, and so you go in, and there are other exhibits there. Um, uh, right now, I believe there's a survey of modern paintings. So you go up these spiral uh, hallways, you mm-hmm. know, up, up to um, the top. And this Malevich exhibit is located in a gallery uh, that's connected to the main section, but it's, it's off to the side. And it's a rather small setting, and when you go in there, it's literally what T. S. said, had called the still point mm-hmm. of the turning world. You know, you have, a, especially in New York, uh, all these things happening, and uh, you, you go into this area where you feel really the presence of, of, of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, how people react, uh, how they talk, is radically different from That Mm. is
0: remarkable. Mm. Um, Faith invades the Guggenheim. (laughs)
4: <laughs> yeah, yes. and and you know when we were there, I, I have an art his, historian friend who we we go to museums and, and and it was we were just standing in one painting in front of it talking about it, and all these people you know surrounded us uh, because they were fascinated by the, what we were saying mm. and the things that we were seeing, uh, and and uh, that that indicated to me you know these works inspire and uh, create dialogue. Mm. Uh, As opposed to a lot of works, contemporary, uh, uh, you know, are built to uh, uh, shock value, and uh, they Mm. they do not do that.
0: Mm. Well, thank you for lifting our eyes to this great work and uh, for what it says to us about God. And uh, thank you so much, Makoto. Now, Michael, we're going to ask Makoto to join us again next week to talk about another great artist. And we'll be looking forward to that time. Same here. Last week we met Linda Rowley here on the broadcast, and Linda's back with us today. Uh, reintroduce Linda to our listeners. Though.
2: Well, Linda is is the wife of one of my closest friends, Scott Rowley, But Linda and I have been friends for a long time, and Many we years. we've uh, we've known each other well as long as Scott and I have uh, have known each other, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, we have some we have a few stories of, of our own, <laughs> some that you'll tell on the radio. Well, you know, I, I mean, the one that stands out for me is your 40th birthday, which was just you know, maybe a year or so ago. <laughs> yeah. And for her, for, for her 40th maybe. birthday, she wanted a, a ride on the motorcycle. So uh, I I took her out. That's been back when I was motorcycling and mm-hmm. I tried to scare her. I tried to go as fast oh, as I you could. Oh, didn't. Oh, yeah. And she kept patting me on the back to go faster. <laughs> yeah. And
5: yeah, he said to me, Linda, if I go too fast, let me know. And I said, you can't go too fast. for me, Yeah, right?
2: <laughs> And then, of course, I just saw that as a challenge. But she didn't. She never got scared. Okay. So yeah. I, I, that's one of my big tributes to you, I think. I'm getting Linda figured out here. Oh, yeah. Today. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, then you, one of your last birthdays, didn't you jump out of a balloon? No, you jumped out of an airplane. An airplane. Yeah. yeah. A
5: 13, perfectly good airplane and 13, you jumped out. 13,000 feet. That was, Scott's, that was Scott's comment. Why in the world would anybody want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane? <laughs>
0: Well, Linda, we have talked to Scott about a decision your family made a number of years ago now, right? right. Yes, um, about to potentially move into a neighborhood that wasn't like what you were accustomed living in, and I'd, I'd like to hear your side of the story.
5: Yes, well, I think it was something kind of a a dream that we had always had that I really don't know that I ever thought would come true um and that was to move into a place totally different than us. And I think as we stepped into racial reconciliation in our community, we, we began to recognize very quickly that to come in and try to do it from the outside was really not who we were. So
0: you were working along these reconciliation lines before you actually moved into a, yes. a black neighborhood. Yes. But you felt like you had to be there to really validate what you were saying and doing.
5: You know, to me, it was the completion of something the Lord had started in our hearts when we adopted our youngest son Sam and Jeff. Jeff's biracial and Sam is African American, and to me it was just really a completeness of that. Mm. Um, one of the questions I remembered when we had to fill out a questionnaire to adopt a cross-racial adoption is, "How can you give this child their heritage?" And that was the one thing that we had said is we had we had really begun to foster. Friendships that we had felt like were going to feed into our children, but we would never be able to let them experience the black culture. And so to me, it was just what a gift mm. to take us into the community um, for them. And so for me, that was that was it more uh, than anything else was we would be able to give our children a taste of the of the black mm. culture. Mm. So.
0: And I know, uh, Scott, well enough from getting to know you that you didn't do it with an air of superiority. I mean, you went in there with uh, humbleness, wanting to serve, right?
5: Oh, hopefully. Yes. I don't I don't think anything would work with an air of yeah, superiority. I was just going to
2: say that you can't do it with an air of superiority no. because the, the intuition in the black community is... Yeah, who, who are you? I mean, why See are you right here? That, huh? Why are you here and how long are you going to stay? Those are the two questions. Well, you
5: know, after we had worked um, on the house a little bit for a couple of weeks and we had kind of seen people kind of come and look, well, we have this precious little lady that lives across the street from us that comes up, you know, to about my mouth. And um, she was out putting her trash out one day and I just kind of said, OK, this is it. I've just got to walk over hmm. and and say hi to her. And so I. I went over and kind of introduced myself and she kind of looks up, she looks up at me and she said, what do you want to live in this neighborhood for anyway? Oh. Hmm. And I said, well, that's a great question. And I said, I really think I want to live in this neighborhood just to get to know people different than me. I, I've lived around people like me, my whole life, and to me, this is a real gift. So I said, I just want to be a good neighbor, and I want—I would like to get to know you. And she said, Well, I'll tell you this much: you know, we kind of keep to ourselves, but if you're ever in trouble and need anything, you can always come calling. Wow! It
3: was,
5: <laughs> and it—it it was just great to mm-hmm. just have her say that. Uh, we, you know, we'll smile and and say say hi back and forth. How a long ago bit. was that? Five years ago. A lot has happened then, huh? A, ha- a lot has happened. A lot has happened since then. Um, not a lot of relational things between she and I, um, I think. Well, she said um, she kept
2: to herself, I guess. She did. <laughs> she did.
5: And um, she now, I feel like, well, she acknowledges me and will smile and say hi. and um, But you know what? A relationship takes a long time, yeah. and especially relationship with someone that you don't trust. And mm. I think there's a lot of mistrust of the white community in it, my, for, in my for a neighborhood. Good for good reason. <laughs> for yeah. very good reason. Mm. Um, Generations of good reason.
2: There was a, a, a I, I consider, I think you do too, Linda, a, a huge triumph yesterday. Um, there There's a home, homeless man named Marvin in the community who, who finally passed away. And uh, Scott your husband was asked to preach the funeral mm-hmm. and this is a guy who Scott said he would get up at four thirty or 5 in the morning to take his walk and Marvin would just be coming in
3: mm-hmm. you
2: know from sort of being out all night long and, and he got to know him and had spent time with him and then had the privilege I mean and to be invited into people's uh, that sort of pain uh, mm-hmm. at a funeral it to me is amazing
5: yeah, yeah. it was amazing to me too I um people view Scott in our neighborhood, I think, in a great way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think we have become a place that that when they see our house and our, our family, I think they think that it's a safe place to be. Mm-hmm. And Scott certainly has much more of a um, dirt level relationship with a lot of people in the neighborhood that I don't.
0: What a wonderful reputation to have.
5: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it is. And I, I think they really do know that he is a, a safe man to be with and that's great i think one thing that i've really learned about the poor about living amongst the poor is that there is a dignity there that i don't think we usually see Mm -hmm. i think we have a tendency to judge um people who are poor as either lazy or lazy is the primary thing Mm -hmm. i think that comes to my mind and um I remember one day uh, there was one of our neighbors that was out uh, skinning a raccoon and that had been brought to another neighbor because they knew that he liked coon. Uh And um, I remember when I saw him doing that, there was almost a a repulsion that, you know, I felt myself feeling. And I I kind of, you know, when he told me what he was doing, I kind of just acknowledged it and began to walk back to my house. And it was almost like and I'm not this big one about hearing voices but I really did get this sense of the Lord saying give him the dignity he deserves as a human being. Wow. And I found myself turning around and walking back and kind of squatting down and looking him in the eyes and just talking to him. And it was just it was just a great um I don't even know the feeling, but it just, for the first time in my life, I think I was overwhelmed with the fact of how I will judge of on preconceived ideas or, or what I think is going to go on or, or just, you know, even that of, of somebody that really eats a raccoon, uh-huh. you know, of just what that does to me. And it was just, um, I think there have been a number of things that have shaken me down, uh, the core of my being more than any other time in my life and have really made me step back and say, okay, this is, you know, this is a time that, that the Lord will really work at a deeper level in my life that I, it just always takes me by surprise. You know?
0: Mike, I know you've had this experience too, where you don't necessarily go looking for that kind of thing to happen, but when it does, it's uh, it's very special. Yeah. and, and, it's
2: not the kind of thing you find by looking for. It. It's it's it's, a, it's an occasion that the Lord makes happen like that. Um, um, I've had we were passing out uh, flyers for uh, uh, we were going to have a health screening at at the church at Denny's church, and uh, Denny took one side of the street and I took the other side of the street, and I was afraid. It was my first time really in into that, and I'm knocking on people's doors, and I'm thinking, you know, they see some white guy knocking at the door, or you know, shoot shoot me or something. And what what I found amazing was the number of people who invited me in. Mm-hmm. Come on in, come mm-hmm. on in, sit down. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I came back to Denny and I said, you know, these people are crazy. Mm-hmm. They don't know. They didn't know who I who you know who I was. And Denny said, no, you have got to understand that when you live in this neighborhood, you develop a real intuition about people. You have to. Mm-hmm. And they knew that you were okay. And wow. and that was that was that day was sort of the day when I felt okay. This is something I can do. Yeah. You know, rich lessons.
5: Well, I had to go down and get. Um, my mail from a neighbor one day and um same same kind of thing i always have this you know just a fear Mm -hmm. and i i think it's a fear of the unknown but it's also a fear of what i think i know Mm -hmm. and um and she was very gracious she she asked me and we sat for a few minutes and she said you know come back and visit
0: Mm -hmm. a little victory yeah yeah linda our time is really gone but i have to ask (laughs) one more question you've raised children in, uh, in this community, this hard bargain community where mm-hmm. you live. That's what it's called, hard bargain. Mm-hmm. What difference has it made in their life?
5: Well, hopefully in my son's lives especially, um... I hopefully it's brought a, a depth and an understanding to their culture that they need. Um, for my older children who really haven't experienced it because they haven't lived in the house. I know Emily, when she did have a room when we first moved in there. And she purposely stayed there one night by herself mm. until like 9, 30 or 10, just painting her floor. And she said she found herself kind of not wanting to be seen because there weren't any curtains up yet. But it was those times that both Emily and I have have kind of had to put ourselves in that have made us realize that it's our own, again, our own wrong ideas of of where we're living that we're fearful of. And what we've learned is, you know, I think I really was much more afraid when I lived out on Meadowgreen than I am now. I, I am very comfortable with my neighborhood. No, there are there are places that I I won't walk at You're night, still and I probably sure. shouldn't walk at night. Mm-hmm. But generally, it's um, I think for all of us, I think it's brought a fullness and a depth to our understanding of just people that we um, that we need.
2: Yeah, and so the point is not
0: black people or white people, but just people.
5: Just people. Yeah, we're the ones who draw the lines. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, thanks, Linda. Some great insight today here in the studio with Michael Card. Well, this marks the end of this broadcast, but the impact of this ministry can follow you wherever you go through the new edition of our publication called The Community Magazine. Featured is a personal profile with today's earlier guest, John Eves. Also included is a section called Your Community, where members share stories about their communities. This month, we'll get to meet Daniel Botkin, a pastor, artist, and teacher, along with his wife, Danielle, with her Bible study experience. Read about these friends and much more. Find out how to get your copy when you come to www.michaelcard.com. And I want to remind you that information about Kazimir Malevich, the artist Makoto spotlighted today, can be found through the link at michaelcard.com. Now to go back and listen to this broadcast again, go to our radio page for the audio archive. CD copies or printed transcripts of this or any in-the-studio program are available to order. And don't forget to look into Michael's newest book on the emotional life of Simon Peter titled A Fragile Stone. There's so much to access at www.michaelcard.com. And please take a moment and send us your thoughts about this program. We read every note that comes in. So send us your comments, Bible questions, and prayer requests to in the studio at michaelcard.com. That's in the studio at michaelcard.com. Our program producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.